Thank you for your prayers for Janet. She's doing well. She was just a bit tired this morning. She was hoping to come, but she couldn't make it. Thank you, too, for your tolerance of me starting the singing. It's for some reason, between my brain and my vocal cords, something goes wrong sometimes, and it just doesn't come out right, or it comes out in the wrong pit. So thank you for your, your tolerance of that. We're turning to 1 Corinthians 15. This is our third week in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I've been a bit intimidated by the two previous messages that were really so good, and I'm going to have to try and finish off the chapter. We're going to be reading from verse 35. One of the big difficulties of this chapter for me is how to spell resurrection. I never know whether it's two S's or two C's, or I, I, get, that, I get that one wrong. Um, it's a big chapter, 50 verses. It's big in length. It's big in doctrine. It really is. I'm always surprised that it's taken Paul so long to get around to dealing with the doctrine, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I thought he would have dealt with that first off. Let's get the doctrine right. Let's get the teaching right. But I've learned as we've been through 1 Corinthians that you know you can have all your doctrine right, but if you don't get the other stuff right, it doesn't really mean anything. You know, if you're at variance with your brothers and sisters or, or you're living in immorality or chapter 13, if you're not displaying love, it doesn't matter whether you can dot all your I's or cross all your T's. You know, it really means nothing unless you, you, you can have love and grace and unity. But this is a really, really big chapter. And it's big in its implications as well. Because when we get to the very last verse, Paul keeps back his big punch right right to the end 57 verses of doctrine and one verse of application that teaches us that doctrine is important doesn't it because it takes a long time what we're talking about here is the resurrection from amongst the dead resurrection folks means not floating about like some disembodied spirit in the ether that's not what resurrection is Resurrection is not life after death in some unknown form. Resurrection is the literal, physical raising of the body from the grave. That's what resurrection is. And that will be true for every single person, believer or unbeliever. And Deduzzi made that very clear last week, the difference between the resurrection of the dead universal and the resurrection from the dead the Lord Jesus and believers and that's really important because the resurrection of the dead universal is a bible doctrine right from the very beginning right from the very beginning right you remember Abraham Abraham was prepared to slay his son and you know why because Hebrews 11 tells us that he accounted that God was able to raise him from the dead so Abraham believed in literal bodily resurrection Job though the worms destroy my flesh yet in my flesh I shall see God and the Lord Jesus talked constantly particularly in John chapter 6 about people being raised on that last day so the resurrection of the dead is really, really very, very important. The resurrection of Christ is very, very important. That's how this chapter begins, isn't it? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The literal bodily 
resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. At around 2.30am on the 9th of July 1984, the fire alarms in York Minster began to sound. York Minster was struck by lightning leading to one of the worst cathedral fires in modern times. Do you know why that was? Well, it's speculated that this was the reason, but it seems a strange coincidence because four days later in Durham, David Jenkins was inducted as the Bishop of Durham and he was famous for two things. He did not believe in the literal virgin birth and he did not believe in the literal resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And four days after he was appointed Bishop, York Minster was struck by lightning and it had the worst fire. Isn't that an interesting thing? So that's the real importance of the resurrection is very, very important. Duduzzi spent a long time last week talking about the resurrection from the dead. And we're now talking about believers, believers being raised from the dead. The key verse is the Lord Jesus being the first fruits of them that slept. So the Lord Jesus is the first one out from among the dead. There will be a day of literal physical resurrection for everybody and I would just stop and say if you're not a believer at the moment that day of resurrection is a dreadful day read about it in Revelation chapter 20 the dead small and great stand before God the sea gives up the dead that was in it it's really a a literal a very very dreadful thing if you're not a believer to face that day of resurrection but the Lord Jesus is raised out from the dead and we saw last week it says this he is the first Fruits of them that slept. Chapter 20 is that key verse that Duduzzi helped us with um, last week. So now what we're going to do is we're going to read from verse number 35. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. I would ask you either to follow it in your own Bible. Or if you're not following it in your Bible or your iPad or your phone. Listen carefully. Because this is big truth. With big implications. And it is the word of the living God. So, so let's, let's read this passage now. We'll try and explain some hard words as we go through. But some will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? So Paul is answering people that are objecting to the resurrection. That's what he's doing. Even in the local company of Christians in Corinth, there was people who professed Christianity who were questioning the resurrection. They're not genuine questions of inquiry. They are sceptical questions of rebellion. They're trying to sow doubt. That's, there is a difference, you know, between questions, isn't there? There's people who ask questions because they're rebels or they want to sow doubt or, or they want to sow discord and they say, so what about this, what about that, what about that? And then there's other people who ask genuine questions because they want to learn and they want to know and there's a big difference between that. These people were asking questions to cause trouble, to try and undermine. And the first one was, so what do you mean there's a resurrection from the dead? Andrew and Duduzzi answered that one. This question this time is, okay, if there's a resurrection from the dead, how are the dead raised up? And with what body shall they come? How's it going to happen and what are they going to look like? That's the next question, right? Okay, if you say there's a resurrection, for goodness sake, how's it going to happen and what are you going to look like when you're raised from the dead? Here's what Paul says. Thou fool. He says, how silly can you be? Because you already accept that truth. And it's obvious how they're going to be raised up and what they'll become. Because there's at least three spheres of life that you already recognise that in, right? 
One of them is agriculture, and we're going to see that, the seed that brings forth a plant. The next one's zoology, because there's different types of flesh. There's fish and meat and chicken and all that sort of stuff. And the third one's astronomy. You know, we look up at the stars, and for a long time we all thought they were just white pinpricks of light in the sky. Isn't that right? Until people developed telescopes, the Hubble telescope and now the James Webb telescope, and you look up at the white pinprick of the sky and it's absolutely <laughs> astonishing, isn't it really? So, so Paul says, listen, you're asking a stupid question because you already know the answer to that. This is what he says. That which is sown is not made alive except it die. Okay? So death brings out life. You already believe that. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body which shall be, but the bare grain, it may chance of wheat or the, of some other grain. In other words, what you plant is not the same as what comes up. <laughs> right? Resurrection. But God giveth it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. How does that little bare seed produce a whole sheaf of wheat or a, or, or a carrot or, or a, how does that happen nobody actually knows we just know that God does it isn't that right God does it all flesh is not the same flesh but there is one kind of flesh of men another flesh of beasts another of fishes and another of birds so you, you go to the restaurant for your lunch and you get three sections you get fish, meat and chicken right haven't you it's obvious now everything's the same there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. So in those days, they could tell the difference between the stars and the moon and the sun. They knew that difference. Now we know even more than that, don't we? Now we know that every star differs one from another. And it makes Genesis 1 so astounding when it says, He made the stars also. Just like a kind of byproduct to creation, the Lord put the stars up there to tell us, you know what? I'm a glorious Almighty God. That's what He's saying when He's put the stars up there. And one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection from the dead. Okay, He's saying, listen, you understand seeds bringing something different. You understand different types of flesh and you understand different types of celestial bodies. It's just the same with the resurrection. Let me explain, he says. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Corruption means perishable. Our body now is perishing. Deteriorating. Declining. And unless you're only three, that's the the situation of us all, isn't it? Something goes wrong somewhere along the line. An imperfect perishing body, he says, listen, on that day it's going to be different. It will be raised in in corruption. It is sown in dishonour. I sat with brother Tony Pepler before the Lord called him home, a few hours before the Lord called him home. He was in South Shields Hospital and if you knew Tony in his prime, he was a strong cheerful, glorious, lovely man, lovely man. You would have loved to have sat with Tony. But that body was not a body of glory when I sat beside it a few hours before he went to heaven. 
weak, broken, not able to speak. But the Lord says, listen, it's sown in dishonour. Raised in glory. Raised in glory. Sown in weakness. Brother Tony couldn't even utter a whisper. Open his eyelids. That's what it says. Raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. What, what, what does that mean? Does that mean you're raised like a, a spirit we know that you just float about? And you, no, it means you've got a natural body that's fit for earth at the moment. When you're raised in the re- resurrection, you'll be given a body that's fit for glory. It's a different type of body. It's a spiritual body. It's a body that's fitted properly for understanding spiritual things and living in a spiritual realm. It'll be a body, but it'll be a body that's transformed into something completely different so you can appreciate and understand things that you've never understood before. That's why Paul says, you know, eye has not seen, nor has ear heard. You know, your eyes can't take in what it's like to be in glory. You know, you're not even allowed to look at an eclipse of the sun, Right? without it damaging your eyes. So if we can't look at the sun with these eyes, how can we look at the glorified Lord Jesus with these eyes? The Lord says, actually, do you know what? I'm going to give you new eyes so you can see those things. And the glory of the sun will dim into insignificance in comparison to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying here. You'll have a body, but it'll be a different type of body. It's not just a, a spirit that floats around, you know, like Halloween. It's, 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 the, it's the real deal. The real deal. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. In other words, your physical body right now has come from Adam. Isn't that right? And DNA and genetics and all these people that know all these things trace you back to a common ancestor of one man and one woman. And we're all related. Right? I'm sorry to say that. You probably don't want to be related to me, but we are. We're all related. This body. So the first Adam was made a living soul, given a physical body. The last Adam, the Lord Jesus, so that's the last in that line, The last Adam was made a life-giving spirit. So by the gracious spirit of God, we are made alive and a complete... And just like we trace our ancestry from Adam physically, every believer, we trace our ancestry spiritually, who? To our Lord Jesus Christ. How be it? That was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And after that which is spiritual... So you haven't got your heavenly body yet. You've got your earthly body because that came first. The first man is of the earth, earthy. In other words, Adam was made for earth. The second man, you see there's two phrases there, the last Adam and the second man. Adam's humanity was innocent, right? And then it became fallen. The Lord Jesus Christ had perfect humanity. You see the difference? He was the the second man, the Lord out of heaven. His humanity was real, but it was different even from Adam's. 
As is the earthly, such are also the earthly. As is the heavenly, such are also the heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Just as real as you're sitting here in Benjamin Gospel Hall in your natural body, the day's coming when God's going to give you a new body ready for heaven, fit for a new realm altogether. Isn't that just wonderful, folks? Isn't that just wonderful? Now this I see, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So he's going to explain a little more that when he says flesh and blood, he just means natural humanity. That's what he means. He doesn't literally mean flesh. flesh. He just says flesh and blood. We're here in flesh and blood, aren't we? We're just here as, as natural human beings. So he says... This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Imagine being put in a spacecraft that was totally and utterly um, confined and and protected from the rays of the sun. And this spacecraft could take you to within 100 miles of the surface of the sun. And you're inside this this, 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 this spacecraft and you're protected. And you're in an earthly body and you're 100 miles from the sun. And that protection of the spacecraft disappears, what's going to happen to your earthly body? It's going to be totally consumed, isn't it? The glory of the sun will consume your body. You need a different type of body to get close to the sun. So take the glory of the sun and multiply it a zillion times to the glory of heaven. And the Lord says, listen, you can't take that body you've got just now into heaven. And some of us are saying, praise the Lord for that. Eh? I don't want to go in this body. She no, no, no. I'm going to give you a body completely new, completely suitable. Now it'll be this the same body in the sense, we'll see this later on, that you know you'll be able to recognise people. You know, it's it's not that the body is thrown away. And folks, we need to just emphasize this. Our bodies are not disposable. They are not. Right from the very conception, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are given a body by God. And here's the hypocrite. We need to look after our body. I don't mean make an idol of our body, but, but Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the tender mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, a loving sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Ye are bought with a price, therefore you are not your own. Therefore glorify God in your in your body. This body, brains, hands, feet, eyes, every part of me physically has to be devoted to the service and glory of the Lord Jesus. Our bodies are not disposable. But our world wants us to think that we can just do anything we like with our body and cast it off. Isn't that right? And then when you're done, you're done. You know, some people don't even want funerals now. They just want, I mean, have you ever been at a humanist funeral? It's the saddest, saddest thing ever. You're just disposable. They'd be as well. I, I was at one and it was like, the body was just like a used paper handkerchief that was just being put in the trash. That's the way the, bo- the world looks at it. God says, no, 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 your body's special. You, your body's really important. And he says this, but that body's not going to be suitable for heaven. I'm going to give you the new improved version. <laughs> Isn't that good? I'll tell you, I want a new improved version as quick as possible. Behold, and so he says, that's what's going to happen. That's how it's going to happen. And you already know that kind of stuff because you watch... 
plants growing and, and fish swimming and, and, and stars. You all don't really know that. You accept that naturally, but you won't accept it spiritually. That's crazy, isn't it? And he says, so I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen now. And I'm going to tell you what you'll be like. Behold, I show you a mystery. A mystery in the New Testament is not an Agatha Christie puzzle that you have to work out, okay? A mystery in the New Testament is something that had been previously hidden, for example, to Old Testament Christians, that God has decided to reveal to us now as Christians. You know, there's things that we know that Moses didn't know. And Elijah and Isaiah. They had kind of shadows of them and prophecies of them, but they never really understood them fully. But God says, I'm going to show you them right now, and here's one of the mysteries that I'm going to show you. We shall not all sleep. What does he mean by sleep? When I read this verse, we shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed. I was telling Lauren yesterday, or was it Andrew I was telling, I started to think about David and Rachel with four kids under four. Every night the, the kids would say, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Here's a truth that was never known before. Everybody before thought death was inevitable. Didn't they? Paul says, listen, I'm going to tell you a mystery. God is going to make it possible that some people won't ever die, but they'll be changed and go to heaven directly without going through death. Have you got another Bible passage in your mind? Yeah. I have, yeah. Deuteronomy 4. Thessalonians 4. Isn't that right? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with all. Tony, I'm back to Brother Tony because I love Tony in our conversation. Well, you would never talk to Tony Pepler, but he would say to you he was waiting for the Lord to come. That's what he would say. And Tony really honestly believed that the Lord would come before he would die. And that was a great thing, wasn't it? But that wasn't the Lord's purpose for Tony. And I'm a little bit, I said to Grace, when I was with her, I'm a wee bit jealous of your dad. He sees the Lord before I did. <laughs> but he says, listen, we shall not all sleep. So some Christians will die. And when the Lord comes, some Christians will still be alive. But look at this. We shall all be changed. Every single one of us. That word change in the Bible in the New Testament can take two forms. It can mean changed to something completely different or changed to something the same. Deduzzi had two Volvos. He changed his car. Both were a Volvo, right? But he could change his car to a Toyota. That would make a much better car. That, but that would be changing to something completely different, right? I thought this was changing to something completely different. It's not that word. It's the change to something the same. So what it means is that God's not going to say that body that you've got just now is going to be thrown away and you're going to get a new one with a different car here. He's just saying, listen, that body there is the starting point for me. It's the starting point for me. I'm going to change you. I'm going to change you. So people say, well, I recognise somebody in heaven. Do you think you're going to be less wise in heaven than you are here? Do you think your senses are going to be less able than there than they are here? 
But we shall all be changed. So that's what will happen. Here's when it will happen. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Two time scales there. Moment, twinkling of an eye. The word for moment is the Greek word for atom. Now, don't get technical with me. Right, okay. I know there's some clever people here. I know about neutrons and, and electrons and protons and subatomic particles. I know all that, right, okay. But an atom in Greek was the smallest indivisible particle. That's, that, that's the, that was the meaning of the word. They weren't, being, they weren't talking physics. They were just talking philosophy. It's the smallest possible indivisible item, an atom. And he says, when the Lord comes, you'll be changed in the smallest indivisible period of time. So they talk about seconds and milliseconds and microseconds and nanoseconds. And the Lord says, listen, it won't even take me that. won't even take me that. And it says, a twinkling of an eye. What's the twinkling of an eye? Right? Supposing it's the time that it takes from light to go from your retina, from your, uh, from your cornea to your retina. Do you know how long that is? That's a sixth of a, what was it? A micro nanosecond. What was he saying? You won't even notice. It'll just happen so quickly. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. So you're away back in First Thessalonians 4, aren't you? With the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. You can see the parallels here, can you? can see what's happening here. This is what sometimes Christians call the rapture. The Bible, there's no such word as rapture in the Bible, right? Okay. But there's no such word as trinity in the Bible either, right? Okay. It just means the Lord coming to snatch away in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. That, that's what he's saying, isn't he? There's a time coming when the Lord will come and he'll take all these people in a moment in a twinkling of an eye and he'll snatch them and there'll be a trumpet sound. What, is, what was the trumpet used for in the Bible? Remember, I hope you're here on Thursday night to hear about the Feast of Trumpets. Eh? Feast of Trumpets, a trumpet was used to make a declaration or call to war or make a special announcement. It was a, it was a big announcement that something special is happening. And God says, the trump of God shall sound. It says the last trump. Hmm. But surely if you read the book of Revelation when it comes to the tribulation, there's other trumpets. Eh? And it doesn't mean it's the last trumpet sound that will ever be sound. It's the trumpet sound that, that indicates that this is the last installment in the church age. That's what it means. For the last, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Remember we, we, we read about burial sown in corruption raised in incorruption this mortal must put on immortality so when resurrection comes your body will have quality and quantity right okay so quality is you'll no longer be perishable you'll no longer your hearing won't decline or your blood pressure won't go up or your uh, lungs won't work. He says, listen, that's all gone. Quality will be top quality. 
perfection. So that's quality. And this mortal must put on immortality. That's quantity, isn't it? We're mortal now. 70, 80, 90 years. We, we know we don't boast about tomorrow, but you know what I mean from a natural point of view? Everybody knows that one day, if the Lord doesn't come, we're going to die because we are mortal. And remember, Deruzzi told us last week, the last enemy to be defeated is death. Brothers and sisters, even for the Christian, natural death is still an enemy for us. Do you know why? It separates us from the folks we really love. I don't find separation easy. I don't. And it brings into our life mourning and sadness. If it doesn't, there's something wrong. But do you know what the world does? The world wants to turn death into some sort of celebration. Right? Okay? Let, let, let's pretend it's a big party. Let's have a party instead of a, a mourning. Let, let, let's, let's, let's go to the pub instead of, instead of having a real... Se- Do you know what the most... If you ever have to go to a crematorium for a, a non-believer's funeral, they get to choose their, their music. Nobody chooses hymns these days. They all choose pop songs. Do you know what the number one choice in crematoriums for funeral music is? Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. You know, I've been to Christian funerals that are more like comedy shows than they are Christian funerals. It's a disgrace. Utter disgrace. Death's still an enemy for us. If you lost your nearest and dearest, I'm telling you, brother or sister, you would break your heart, wouldn't you? You wouldn't say death was a friend, you'd say it was an enemy. And it is an enemy. And mourning's right. Mourning amongst Christians is right. We actually don't do it properly. If you go to other cultures, they, they recognise the significance and importance of death and the seriousness of death much more significantly than we do. African cultures in that right do But look what he says. This mortal shall be put on immortality. That's why Paul says, we sorrow not as others who have no hope. He doesn't say we pretend that there's no sorrow. He says we sorrow. We sorrow. Brothers and sisters, I've sat with many a brother and sister and I've put my arms round about them and I've wept with them after they've lost somebody because it's a deep sorrow. That's right. That's right. That's appropriate. That's Christian. But if we sorrow like an unbeliever, we're in big trouble because we sorrow in hope of what? The resurrection from amongst the dead. And so next Monday, when we go to a cemetery in Jarrow to lay the body of a brother to, to rest, we'll be sorrowing. But we'll be looking up and we'll be saying, one day he'll be raised from the dead. One day he'll be raised from the dead. So, when this mortal shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is re- written, death is swallowed up in victory. Look at the three mentions of victory. O grave, where is thy sting? O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We won't take time to go down through those because I know the time's nearly finished because I want to talk about the last verse. 
brothers and sisters, sorrow is but for a moment. Victory comes. Victory comes. I've known a lot of brothers and sisters that have had constant trouble with their body all through their life. Hmm? My mum had a best friend that had multiple sclerosis and for her early 30s until she was taken home to heaven she could, couldn't feed herself, she couldn't change herself and her body was, was broken. You know about Joni Erickson Tada? Body broken? She suffered terribly from people who told her, God will heal her. God doesn't want your body to be broken. She went through years of depression because she thought she had no enough faith to be healed. And the point was, wasn't it God's purpose to heal her broken body? But you do know that God's ultimate healing is for everybody. Do you know what God's ultimate healing is? God's ultimate healing is to take us out of here and into heaven <laughs> where there's no sin and there's no sickness and there's no disease and we'll never be touched again. That's where we'll be able to say, oh grave, where is thy victory? So we, we will stand at a, a, a believer's grave and we'll, we'll pray for the folks that are left behind but we'll look at the body and we'll sew it knowing that that very same body God will raise one day this is not disposable this is not disposing of the body this is sowing the body sowing in honour and, 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 and corruption raised in incorruption and it's the body is sleeping but there if he says okay now you've got the grip of resurrection now you've got to grip it just give me a couple of minutes now that you know that it's important to preach the resurrection. Isn't that right? That what he started off with? First of all, I delivered to you that which I, that Christ died and rose again for the third day and that he was seen and we preach the resurrection. That's why people get so upset in the Bible. They knew that Jesus had died and if the preachers were preaching that Jesus was died, they would have been happy with that because they knew that was true. What really upset them was they were preaching that Jesus was alive. <laughs> Do you not think we should preach it? Eh? We preach Christ died for our sins and absolutely certain because there's no, no hope for forgiveness without the death of Christ but there's no hope for resurrection but for the resurrection of Christ. Isn't that right? And he says, let me tell you how important it is because resurrection is real because Christ was raised from the dead and he's the first fruits of them that slept and you're going to be raised from the dead as well. So let me tell you right now, this should make a big difference in your life. This is not pie in the sky when you die, right? This is not just twiddle your thumbs and wait. Here's what he says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. In other words, don't get blown about with all that's happening. You know, there's some Christians and they just get blown about with everything, don't they? They get blown about with the world. They watch the news and something's going to happen in Ukraine. And they look at Putin and they think, oh, what's going to happen? Well, the Lord knows what's going to happen, eh? And I don't mean we shouldn't be concerned. But we don't let that shift our faith, do we? And then some preacher comes along with some brand new idea for the Bible and they get blown along with that for a while. And then they read a book and they get blown along with that for a while. And then they, some other person comes and they get blown along with that for a while. Paul says, listen, forget all that stuff. Be steadfast and movable. Get your roots down. Where? In the word of God. Get your roots down in the word of God. Be steadfast and movable. And when somebody comes along and tries to persuade you to move, you can say, ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll stick if you don't mind with the Bible. Right? Have you noticed this week what the Bishop of Oxford has said? Have you said? He's 
changed his position on one of the big issues, morality of the day, and he says, we've learned so much now about human nature, we can go back and read the Bible with more insight. Eh? Eh? I think another nine bishops have come out this morning to agree with Be ye steadfast. Unmovable. Now that doesn't mean stuck in the mud and stubborn. Right, okay. doesn't mean old-fashioned. and It just means, in the word of God, be steadfast, immovable. But look at this. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. You've only got one life. Use it well. That's really what he's saying. One day, this life that we've got in this body is going to finish and we'll step into eternity in a brand new body. Right? So when you've got time to do it, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Here's what he says. Because your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Do you ever get tired in the work of the Lord? Do you ever? You say, listen, put your back into it. Don't be minimalist when it comes to the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't just look at the bare minimum and say, well, if, if I can tick that box, I'll be fine. Paul's saying, listen, go, go in for it. Give your whole heart to it. And give your whole heart to it until you're exhausted. I, I, folks, some people say to me that I never get tired. Folks, I'm always tired. Tired's my life. That's what it is. But tired should be our life. Always abounding in the work of the Lord for your labour is not in vain in the Lord. The Lord will more than recompense at the resurrection whatever investment you make for him. Everybody's getting upset about their investments at the moment, aren't they? You can never invest too much in the things of God. You can never do it. Because the returns are immeasurable. Listen, I was reading this morning in Mark 10. Listen to this. Jesus answered and said... There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sakes and for the gospels, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But he shall receive an hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. (laughs) Oops, missed that bit out. We should have left that out, shouldn't we really? And in the world to come, eternal life. Now, I've only got one mum. You know that, right? Okay. She's still up in Scotland. She's 94 and she's my mum. But I've got lots of other mums. I do. I do. Sheila's mum was like my mum. I can think of other older sisters that I could call mum. Do you know what? One of the lovely things that you young Indians have brought amongst us is this wonderful expression, you, you call us uncle and auntie. I love that. Because you know what that does? That, that cements a relationship, doesn't it really? It takes it into a realm. And he says, listen, that's what I'm going to... He says, you'll get all that stuff. You'll get all that relationship stuff a hundred times more here and in the world to come. But this is what he says. Your labour's not in vain in the Lord. What you do is not empty and vain. 
what you do will reap great rewards. Now, now that's not the reason you do it. Okay, you understand that. You're not in it for yourself. But listen to these verses. Lay not up for yourself treasure in earth, where moth and corrupt and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust the corrupt, nor where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if you understand the resurrection, and that one day your body's going to be taken up into heaven, and heaven is your real home, you'll know that that's where your heart should be, won't you? And so you'll lay up treasures there. Listen again to the Lord. Labour not for the meat that perishes, but for the meat that endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And then my verse, for the graveside, for Tony Pepler, a week on Saturday, a week on Monday, if the Lord spares me. Paul's words, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. Folks, it could be nearer than we think, couldn't it? For any one of us physically, it could be nearer than we think. Any one of us are frail flesh, but supposing the Lord comes and we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, and we say, well, do you know what, Lord? Do you know what? I really meant to do that, but you didn't give me enough time. I really meant to, to get more involved, but you know what, Lord? You came too quick. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Do you know what he said? I've been always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's been the most important thing in my life. I've thrown myself into it, lock, stock and barrel. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Ah, but Paul, you are special. You are not you Paul special, eh? Met the Lord on the Damascus Road, got all those special. Lord, you get that crown because you were special. Oh, excuse me. And not to me only, but unto all those who love his appearing. You see the big punch at the end? All those 57 verses about resurrection were for a reason. Wasn't it just to make us cleverer in our head? It was to make us more appreciative of Christ and then to fill us with energy to say, I'm going to throw myself into the work of the Lord. May the Lord help us to do that. Eh? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for raising him from the dead. Thank you for giving us this burning hope within us that one day he'll come and if we die, we'll be raised. If we don't die, we'll be changed. We thank you for that and pray that this might invigorate us, energise us, help us to see the world the way it really is and just help us to be, Lord, what you want us to be. So we just thank thee for our time together. Commit ourselves to thee. Give thanks for the little refreshment to you now in the Lord's name. Amen. Somewhere between my watch and my eyes, the time changes. I don't know what happens. It just...